got a little carried away with the title this week, but I didn't mean to, but I did a little bit. Um, Phil, can you turn the spots on back there? Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Let there be light. Yeah, I just, I just need the spots. So that's okay. Good. Thanks. You know, I don't know if you saw it or not, but uh, uh, I'm not a big social media scourer. But uh, an 18-year-old uh, Irishman on his way to school got his 15 minutes of fame and much more back in, in 2015. He was interviewed on the street by a local news reporter about a sudden cold snap that's still remembered there as the big freeze. Now, generally, you get famous on YouTube or TikTok or uh, Instagram because you have some dubious talent, right? But uh, not Rory McSorley. He went viral just talking about the unusual weather. His accent is so thick, and he talks so fast, faster than me, um, that you can hardly understand what he's saying. Uh, you'd think it was a, a parody of an Irishman speaking, but it's not. It's just Rory. When people saw his interview, it immediately went viral. Uh, unintended comedy, instant and fleeting fame. He got over 8 million views from countries all over the world. But it wasn't because people were making fun of him. He actually comes across like a very nice, likable guy. You just can't understand half of what he's saying. Uh, and it's in English. <laughs> take, a, take a look. Oh, God, it's death for God. The mountains is brave and close now, right enough. Oh, God, it's oh, why, why time of the snow, all right. It doesn't um, put you off from going to school. Well, the, the mother says we had to go anyway. We hadn't much a choice in the matter, but sure. It's a cold, it's a cold journey to school this morning. Oh, God, you wouldn't belong getting frostbite. And these new, new shocks that I got as well. You see, I had to turn the hill, the hill, just, just up to me. What do I say? I had to turn the hill up, 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 up to my foot there, just, just so the sock would go longer. The mother got me these trainer shock things there. Oh, God, you wouldn't get along getting my ankles frostbite off you. And you don't mind walking to school in the snow, are you? Are well, you used to it up this, this part of the world? I'm just walking today. Uh, what are you used to the snow up this part of the world? Well, oh, well, will there be a good wee bit of snow? You know, there will be a bit of snow there when a Christmas is a go there. Oh, no. Oh, what do you make of it today? Oh, well, it's not just as bad as bad as it was back then, but sure. Uh, Ah, no, it'll be, it'll be all right. It's, uh, uh, but it's not, it's not a great day, though, right enough. It's sort of a day for the house now, right enough. But there's meant to be, meant to be wild delays now around Finney and Donna Manna and all them surrounding areas. Right, right. Oh, no. Okay. Well, sure, anyway, we'll see you some anyway. Good luck. All right, bye-bye. <laughs> you ever wondered what actors... You know, it's, uh, uh, it's pretty funny, but... I listen to it a lot of times, and I, I still can't understand it. His now famous quote, ah, you, you wouldn't be long getting frostbit, uh, got him tagged online as the frostbit kid. I have frostbite, I don't think frostbit's even a word, but I guess he made it a word. Uh, he did multiple interviews after that, of course, and even a, a terrible country music video before he faded away. Uh, until two weeks ago, on Sunday, August 22nd, Volunteer lifeboat crews from County Kerry rescued a swimmer. The alarm had gone uh, out, it had been raised by beachgoers who noticed clothes on the beach that had been there since about 8, eight o'clock in the morning. Uh, more than 12 hours later, at around 8.30 p.m. on Sunday night, 
With the sun beginning to set and chances of finding a missing swimmer fast diminishing, the rescue crew noticed a pot of dolphins swimming near them. Uh, they were about two and a half miles from the beach where the clothes were found. When they got closer, they noticed the man's head in with the dolphins. And uh, the swimmer in the icy waters was later identified as Rory McSorley. He'd been attempting an eight-kilometer swim and only got about halfway and got stuck. If it wasn't for the dolphins swimming around him, protecting him maybe, uh, he might never have been found. Now, is that luck or was it miraculous? Rescues called it a miracle. They said that in another half hour in the water, uh, he wouldn't have survived. Well, after getting warmed up in the hospital, he decided to take a little holiday in Dubai. Uh, although it's a little unclear how it all came about, he was swimming there just last week when he mistook a couple of sharks for another colony of friendly dolphins. I thought it was a couple of dolphins that were swimming close to me, so I went to say hello. But then, frostbite boy joked, turns out it was a shark, and by God, I raced out of there. I got bit in the leg as I swam away, but thankfully, that's all it did, and off it went. It just didn't fancy the rest of me, and thank God for that. From his hospital bed in, in Dubai, as he uh, recovered from what was actually a serious shark bite, he acknowledged his mistake with a play on his fame. He said, sure, you wouldn't be long getting shark bit, he's told the Dubai media, who didn't understand a word he said. <laughs> Another miracle for the frostbite kid? Somebody's sure looking out for him. That's two miracles in, in less than two weeks, and counting, I guess, in his case. Well, we have a miracle this morning in our gospel lesson this morning, a miracle healing of a man who couldn't hear and had some sort of speech impediment that made it hard for people to understand him. His encounter with Jesus has a lot to say to us this morning. This long green season of Pentecost we're in, uh, in the church here uh, presents the stories with a general theme. Three godly views of a Christian. Uh, the first is love for God and its inevitable fruit, love for neighbor. Uh, second is faith or the life that flows from our faith. And the third is hope. Hope in the Christian meaning of looking forward uh, expectedly, expectantly and confidently to the Lord's return. And so we'll have three types of Sunday lessons. The first type presents our Lord miraculously healing the sick, not just to, to teach us about the deity of Jesus. Um, that's what the season of Epiphany focuses on. These miracle stories are to illustrate the gracious effect of God's means of grace, word and sacrament, holy communion and baptism, the things that forgiveness that really underlies all of it. As in the days of his earthly life when our Lord healed bodily diseases, so will be the healer of the soul's diseases in the continuing life he lives in and through the church, even today. The miracles of healing picture the effects of the, our liturgy, our order of service, uh, what's officially known as the divine service. As we move through this season, then we'll see the lessons that contrast our belonging to the kingdom of God with our separation from the world. And then as we get closer to the end of the church here in November, uh, we begin to embrace our expectation of the Lord's return. It's all meant to teach us how to live and how to embrace and how to rejoice in God's grace. That's why we worship like we do. Uh, the music might vary. The, the buildings might look different. The pastor may or may not be vested in robes and things. Um, but the liturgy, that should endure. Uh, it connects us with, with Christ and the church to its very roots. So, the miracle today. Jesus is in Decapolis this morning, a pretty good-sized area across the Jordan River from Jerusalem. 
fact, it was large enough to hold 10 cities of some significance. There were some Jews living there, but they were a minority. The Lord clearly wasn't in Kansas, or I guess you'd say Galilee anymore. It had been near one of the northernmost cities in that area that Jesus had earlier healed a demon-possessed man, or we might say demons-possessed in his case. Um, when they came out of the poor man, he, they went into 2,000, uh, a herd of 2,000 pigs who promptly ran down a steep hill into the sea and drowned. While the locals were amazed and astounded at Jesus' power, they were distraught at the loss of their livestock. They handed him his hat, thanked him for coming, and told him not to worry. They had his number, and if they needed anything in the future, they'd be in touch in first century way. Um, and so Jesus moved on. Now this morning, knowing his time and ministry is always drawing closer to the cross, he's back in that eclectic region to demonstrate that he'd ultimately come for all people, not just the Jews. And while he's there this morning, a man is brought to him who is deaf. Now whether uh, as a result of his deafness or some other cause, uh, he's also uh, has a severe speech impediment, making him difficult to understand, making himself uh, understood. His friends begged Jesus to lay a hand on him so that he might be healed. Now, the text is silent whether or not this man already believed. You know, sometimes Jesus would work through a person's faith, and sometimes the faith would come afterward. Uh, you can't put uh, limits on God. His friends certainly believed that Jesus could help him, and they reached out to him, offering to bring them to the Lord. And they even speak to Jesus on their friend's behalf. So Jesus takes the man aside, privately, which is a little unusual, but bringing glory to the Father was never really uh, something uh, Jesus was into. Well, I mean, in a sense of show business anyway. Um, so, so he uses signs to explain to the man what he's going to do. He put his fingers in his ears. He, he touches the man's tongue. And then he looks up to heaven so the man knows where the miracle is coming from. And he says simply, be opened. And before the words were out of his mouth, the man could hear them. And all the other noises around him as well. The wind, birds, the, 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 the insects, maybe uh, uh, the crowd of people there, certainly, watching in amazement. Well, then Jesus says something that strikes us as very strange. He instructs the people not to tell anyone what has happened. But Mark tells us that the more he charged them with this, the, the more zealously they proclaimed it. It's just hard to keep the, the, the good news in, isn't it? Any good news. You know, it doesn't do well in a box. Uh, we want to keep it there, but you just can't help yourself. Uh, and, and in this case, I guess we wonder why Jesus wanted to do that. The, the gospel does have times where Jesus seems to want to keep a low profile, times that he warned people not to talk about his miracles, sometimes adding that it was because his time had not yet come. Uh, if that's the case, maybe it was because he couldn't afford to, to be burdened with these endless lines of people that were coming to him, uh, asking him to heal all kinds of, of diseases. And yet, our Lord is a compassionate God, you know, and, and God, it, it just, it's not in his nature to pass it by when it's like that. People have been taught by their church leaders, the Jews, that they should expect a political savior, military type, who would rescue them from, from Roman rule. But the Old Testament, and our lesson this morning backs it up, talks about a Savior who had opened the eyes of the blind, unstopped the ears of the deaf, and caused the lame man to leap like a deer. Now, Jesus fulfilled those prophecies of God's grace. The book of Isaiah, our Old Testament 
uh, lesson source this morning was written almost 700 years before Jesus was even born. And it contains a whole list of things to look forward to as proof uh, that the one who would come and claim to be from God one day would actually be from God. The promised Messiah was never meant to be a simple political savior. Jesus' mission was to save us from sin, not Rome. And there was much to do and much to teach before that mission would find its ultimate fulfillment in the cross and the empty tomb. But people are people, and when they're excited about something, they're going to they're gonna want to tell anybody who will listen, right? And they did. Are you still excited? So I was reflecting on this lesson this week. Uh, I couldn't help but wonder how that enthusiasm about God's grace, about the message of his love for us in, in Jesus Christ, the fact that the creator of the whole universe even knows that we exist and that he cared enough about us to send his own son to suffer and die for us, uh, it seems to have been lost in so much of the church today. You know, why are we not more excited? And if you're excited on the inside, then why doesn't it show more on the outside? How exciting is it that the all-knowing, all-powerful, holy, righteous, just, and yet merciful and loving God of the entire universe loves each one of us unconditionally and without limits, that he knows us by name? How in the world did that message ever become so muted that churches aren't packed to overflowing on Sunday mornings? or that Bible studies aren't filled, or that people aren't lined up for a chance to share this good news uh, with children who will be awed by it. And I wonder if maybe there, there wasn't a problem with our hearing. But I don't think old ears are what's, what's keeping the, uh, the church back these days, keeping it from being excited enough to want to get that message out any way we can. We hear it, or we can read it. Young people hear it just fine, too, and and yet they tend to fall into the same lethargy as we do. Everybody agrees that it's good news, even great news, but most of us just won't go so far as across the street to share it with our neighbor. The problem's clearly not on God's end. Mark tells us that only, only he just says, they brought the man to Jesus. We don't know who they would be. Could have been family members, could have been friends, could have been compassionate stranger. But whoever it was, uh, they were his friends that day like Rory McSorley's pod of dolphins or the, or the rescuers who stayed out nearly past their, their limits of their hope. Whoever went out of their way and made the time and brought this man to Jesus were his lifesavers. Their faith had driven them to reach out, bringing this man who was deaf and couldn't speak to himself to a healing savior. You know, for you to become part of they in your life, someone who brings people to Jesus, who assures us that as bad as things might look right now, Jesus can somehow make it all right. You have to believe it. You have to be convinced that it's true. And it's not very likely that your tongue or your ears are going to be the problem. The most likely cause will be your heart. Our faith shouldn't rely on experiencing a miracle in our life, but if that's what it takes, most of you probably already experienced one the day you were baptized. Through the waters of holy baptism, you were brought out of the darkness of sin and adopted into the household of God, made an heir to the eternal promises, in spite of the natural tendency we're all born with to live at odds with God, through what we call our sinful natures. If Jesus can open ears and open mouths, and we've just read about him doing it from eyewitnesses, then he can certainly open your heart or the heart of a stranger or a friend or a family member who still needs so badly to meet him. Jesus came to open hearts. All the other parts he healed pointed to the ultimate healing he'd come to offer. 
healing of the soul through faith in the forgiveness and the new life that he would make possible. The miracles caught people's attention. They garnered their interest, they, they, uh, uh, their admiration, their appreciation. But what he'd really come to fix was their heart and soul. And last week we heard our Lord talk about all the things that come out of our hearts, remember? He said that, that from within, out of a person's heart, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, wickedness, deceit, lustful desires, envy, slander, pride, and foolishness. You know, in another place, the Bible calls Satan the prince of this world. He's a fallen angel, but he's powerful enough to use all these things, all these sins to keep us in bondage, to separate us from a God who wants nothing more than to be a perfect father for us. Not with any of the imperfections and shortcomings of an earthly father, a perfect, holy, heavenly father who has a place already prepared for us the day we get to heaven. You just need a new heart. And the only way to get a new heart is through a relationship or maybe a renewed relationship with Jesus. He died on a cross for us so that all those sins could be removed. Put away, the Bible says, as far as the east is from the west. Put away and forgotten. How could you keep good news like that to yourself? Especially knowing the Holy Spirit does all the heavy lifting, the transforming, uh, all the renewing. All you have to do is make the introduction. That's it. And you can do that by simply sharing a story or two from your own life about the difference God has made for you by offering an invitation or an outstretched hand. Can you imagine the aftermath of our miracle this morning? You know, Jesus had taken that man aside from the crowd, Mark says. He didn't need to impress anyone with his abilities. It wasn't the miracles of healing that were important to him. It was the miracle of a changed heart, the miracle of one more person coming to know him as Lord and Savior. Now think about it. Can't you see the tears streaming down that man's face, hearing all the noise of God's creation, maybe for the very first time? Can't you see his friends running to him, hugging him, you know, saying to him, this is Jesus. Because of a few people who went out of their way, his life was forever changed. He experienced God's grace, his undeserved love and mercy in a powerful way. His friends already knew Jesus, and they knew that there was no way, no way this man was going to come away from this encounter unchanged. They begged the Lord to heal him, and he did. But what if he hadn't? Everyone who came to Jesus wasn't healed. There were just too many. Too many. But what if he'd simply found in Jesus the grace and the confidence to live with those disabilities, knowing that he now had a perfect future and a perfect place waiting for him, as well as the constant presence of God in his life even now to sustain him, wouldn't that have been something of a miracle in itself? Sure it would. God says through Isaiah in another place, chapter 43, when you pass through the waters, I will be with you. Through the rivers, they will not overwhelm you. When you walk through fire, you will not be burned, for I am the Lord your God, your Savior. As we experience all the brokenness of this fallen world, as we're led by others to see Jesus in the middle of our rivers and our own fiery trials, as we're presented with opportunities to lead others to see Jesus through theirs, we can learn to finally trust him and trust him with our lives. Whatever the brokenness, Jesus can somehow meet our needs. He meets us at the point of our need, whether it's frustration or fear or futility or fatigue or failure or sin or guilt, sorrow, 
broken relationships, whatever our burden, Jesus meets us there. Wherever life has left us, and he meets us with his grace. People all around us are drowning these days, really, getting shark bit by sin, being pulled away from, from God by the rip currents of secularism. Be their rescuer, the one who, who reaches out to them. Be that person who becomes their miracle, the one who, who uh, reaches through the shattered wreckage of their hope and assures them that in Jesus, everything will be all right. Now do it you know, for your sake and for theirs. Amen. Now may that very special peace of God that passes all understanding keep your hearts and your minds through Christ Jesus. Amen. Uh, we'll take a moment now to receive.